0: Dr. Eli Karam, back with you on the AAMFT Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Today, a topic near and dear to every MFT's heart, clinical supervision, where we've been, where we're going, and what makes MFT supervision unique from almost every other mental health discipline, not only in the training supervisors need in order to be considered an AAMFT-approved supervisor, but also in the type of supervision that therapist in training get. Who better to talk to that with than Dr. Tony Zimmerman? She is an expert on all things AAMFT supervision. Tony is a professor at Colorado State University and the Department of Human Development and Family Studies. She has directed the CSU Family Therapy Program for almost 25 years. The program is nationally recognized for its training emphasis on equality and inclusion on all society levels, from the most intimate of relationships, including family and friends, to larger communities and our global responsibility to work for human rights and justice. Dr. Zimmerman has received many awards during her academic career, including a University Distinguished Teaching Scholar, Therapist and Supervisor of the Year from the State of Colorado, and the Distinguished Faculty Alumni Award. Tony and her collaborators have received numerous awards and recognition for their research and community initiatives, including the Exceptional Innovative Instruction for Service Learning Faculty Award and the Community Engagement Award through CSU. She has a national reputation for her research on equality, but really today she's going to tell us all about trends in MFT supervision. The AMFT uses Tony frequently in their training of supervisors and supervisor candidates. She is a staple in the fundamentals of supervision training program. We will talk a little bit about that, and then after the interview, I'll be back to share some user-friendly resources with you if you are interested in becoming an AAMFT-approved supervisor. Without further ado, welcome to the podcast, Dr. Tony Zimmerman. I always like to start out talking about someone's origin story, Tony. How did you get involved in wanting to be a supervisor, and then a uh, a trainer of MFT supervision?
1: Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, I love talking about supervision. It's very near and dear to my heart, and I feel like it's central to the field of MFTs, good uh, quality supervision. And for me, um, I really enjoyed my supervision when I was in training. And what I really liked about it was just the collaboration. I mean, it, it, we think about systems in terms of client and therapists, but including in a very meaningful way, the supervisor into that system to make sure we have multiple perspectives. We're not practicing in isolation, missing things, not seeing things from a certain angle, just that attention to larger systems. Uh, I I like to both as a therapist but as a supervisor to not only be thinking about patterns and cycles in terms of the client but really looking at patterns and cycles with the therapist as well as between the therapist and supervisor really attending to those systems looking at power dynamics just that collaboration Um, I just find that very enjoyable and meaningful and I think Everyone benefits, the client benefits for sure, from multiple perspectives. And then when I went on to be a faculty member after my PhD, that was part of my therapy or part of my uh, faculty position, which I was thrilled about. So I am the program director at Colorado State University. I've been doing that ever since I came out of my uh, doctoral program.
0: Yeah, it's kind of been built into your your job description from the start, and you said so many things, and I believe that the parallel processes, the isomorphic processes that goes on between, you know, a, a young therapist in training learning to do therapy, and how that is replicated in a supervision group. I couldn't agree with you more, and many young professionals will tell you they learned as much, if not more, from their supervisor or their peers and group supervision as they ever did in the classroom. So it's certainly something that is vital all throughout the the process of MFT training. And one of those things that differentiates MFT from the other uh, major mental health disciplines is how we do supervision and the priority. And that's one of the things I'm going to ask you in a second about uh, in the years you've been doing this, the, the changes that you've seen. But one of the thing that is kind of constant is our uh, belief in live supervision, especially, and watching the work being done and getting feedback. So, I mean, it's great to, to see that you've been doing that. What are, would you say, some of the biggest changes you've seen since you've started in the field uh, and doing MFT supervision?
1: Well, there are many changes, but what stands out to me is the attention to power differentials in society, families, couples, really paying attention to privilege, our own privilege, um, marginalization. I think it's imperative for therapists and supervisors to actively be talking about their own Backgrounds, as well as the background of their clients and what impact that's had. An example of that would be, you know, when we think about race, class, sexual orientation, religion, um, ethnicity, so, so many. There is a significant difference. I, I'm white, I'm Euro-American. There's a, there's a difference in being white and being non-white in our everyday world and in our society and to pay attention just as an example with race to pay attention to what that means in a person's lived experience I think for me that is the most important and we need to continue to further that work you know when you're working with a client um, to really pay attention to I call it privilege mapping to really look at yourself what are the areas of privilege that you have we all have areas of privilege and what are the areas that for you the supervisor the client are marginalized so that you have a sense almost like privilege mapping who are we here and what impact might that have had on our lives and our therapy
0: how does a a supervisor make a supervisee more aware of that dynamic tony
1: well, I think um, the big thing is that the literature tells us that if we don't bring it up in supervision, it's or in it, it's unlikely to be brought up. So, as supervisors, it shouldn't be an add-on, but really central to our conversations. And I think being a good listener and asking questions so that supervisors so that supervisees have opportunities to do some self of the therapist to talk about um, their own backgrounds. As well as um, the backgrounds of their client, and for instance, with your example, with the, if the supervisor was um, of a more privileged place, let's say white, and the supervisee is non-white, as our example, it, it it's really important for a supervisor to not be colorblind. You know, what we want and what is are two different things. You know, what we want is Equality, um, shared power, what we want is to, there, we don't want there to be disparities in all major institutions, health, judicial, education, but we know that there are disparities in all major institutions between white and non-white. Um, so when we, we, we know that the lived experience of a non-white person is going to be different than the lived experience of a white person. So when we don't acknowledge that, we become colorblind, you know, entering the room as if everyone has had access to social capital um, in the same way. So recognizing and listening are so imperative. That's the first thing is to recognize where your privileges are in comparison so that you're staying attuned to that and talking about that and having room for that. Believing and being educated on disparities, um, on all kinds of dimensions, gender, religion, all kinds of dimensions. A supervisor just simply must be educated about disparities, social justice on, it's it's central to your job and then to know how to bring that in in a way that lets all stories be present and that no one in the room whether that's supervisors or whether that's clients becomes some kind of a single story a stereotype and you have to create a very safe space in order for that to happen
0: and one of the great things about supervision is we we're just saying rather than just Talking about that, 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 that dynamic as it pertains to a case of your supervisee, you can actually talk about that in the room with you and your supervisee or supervisees as it relates to, to you as a supervisor in a position of power or maybe with a different um, ethnic or socioeconomic background than the student you're working with.
1: That's right. It's a natural environment. It happens in a very organic way if we keep it central. And I also think whether it's in individual or group supervision, this is an area that everyone, we're all learning, learning more and more. And it's a place that you can never really arrive. You just have to keep learning from each other, from the literature. Um, And so people are gonna make mistakes in this area. And so if somebody says something that is offensive or um, just a lack of knowledge, I think it's really important for supervisors To call people in, in supervision, don't call them out. And so when you call people out, I think it shuts people down, it leads to embarrassment and defensiveness. And so really to be good at calling people in and just saying things like, you know, I can see why you think that because we're, we're really all taught to think that way. Here's what I've learned. And then to give some resources. And then if you make a mistake as a supervisor, you say something that was um, not thoughtful, or it was out of your awareness, to, to also not be defensive and to say, gosh, thank you for bringing that into my awareness. I hadn't thought about it that way. And, um, and then to do just a quick repair.
0: Well, this kind of flows into something and we can uh, keep talking about some emerging trends as we going on that I, I thought about asking you too is about having difficult conversations with supervisors. Much like if a client is having a problem with a therapist, there is a tear in the alliance. As therapists, we don't want them to never come back and us not to know it. We want them to address the tear. So let's say I am a, uh, a supervisee. How, how do I have what is a difficult conversation if I have a tear in my alliance with a supervisor or a person of power or if they're not meeting my clinical or training needs? How would you advise young people how to have that dialogue, whether they're in you know, their MFT masters or doctoral program or they're out in the field working on licensure?
1: Oh, I think that's such a great question because as we know, um, when you have injuries in a relationship the person that has more power, which is the supervisor, generally is the person that needs to put out a sincere welcome mat. And so for instance, if a supervisee is feeling um, hurt or frustrated by or not heard, whatever it might be by a supervisor, I think it's the supervisor's job from the very beginning. For instance, when you're first contracting with a supervisee to talk about how will we have difficult conversations um, right from the beginning and to talk about calling in and, you know, what I what I kind of term as calling in and not calling out or um, how will we repair. To to, ha- to talk about that right at the beginning and then to invite it all along the way. So, for instance, um, I- I'll say often at the end of supervision um, was do we need, I like to use the word clear-ups. Was there anything that went on today that we need a clear-up on? And for instance, you might be in group supervision, and it might be one supervisee said something that another supervisee is holding and really wanting to say, hey, I, when you said something about, um, you know, this piece around religion, I'm from that background that that didn't sit well with me. And then really inviting everyone to say, God, thank you for pointing that out. Um, I hear you, and and that makes a difference to me."
0: So we don't don't wait till it's a clear, glaring problem. You build it into the structure of your supervision to give feedback at the end. So if it's normalized from the beginning, it's easier uh, to cut these uh, disconnects or these tears off at the pass. I, I really, I really like that. And do you think there's? Um, That's harder to do in a group setting where uh, you don't know how people are going to take it versus a one-on-one setting with a student and a supervisor?
1: You know, I think it's different um, because you're managing multiple perspectives, but I think these are wonderful opportunities to role model um, how this happens in therapy. There's injuries between people in therapy, you know, uh, couples and families and between persons in therapy and this and the therapist. And so supervision is a great opportunity to to normalize that and to effectively non-defensively work through that.
0: Yeah, wonderfully said. Other trends that you have really seen or changes that you have seen, you know, over the last 20-25 uh, years of doing this work.
1: Well, certainly another change is technology, the use of technology, what we're, what we're doing right now. Um, supervisors. Um, well, for instance, you talked about at the beginning about how live supervision is such a hallmark so that we're not just getting uh, the, the report of what happened in a therapy session, although that is. Um, certainly a hallmark as well, case, case consultation, but to really see the dynamics and, um, and so for many, many years, I think we only thought of the one way mirror as a way to do that. But now with HIPAA compliant platforms, you can certainly do that in so many ways. You can have a a supervisor and a, a supervision session online with one or multiple people, You can be um, hours away from somebody. You have to pay attention to things like state regulations in that way. And also if a person is at an agency, let's say you're at an agency and, but you're hiring me and I don't work for the agency as your supervisor. We have to pay attention to things like that in terms of technology and what's allowed, but what is available now is so sophisticated in comparison. And we we used to think that in the post-graduate world, live supervision was, unless you happen to have a one-way mirror, was really something that was over for you after training. And that just certainly is not the case. And when I uh, do my training in supervision, I talk to people about continuing to have opportunities to do live supervision. I mean, I can be in my office, um, watch, you know, somebody an hour away can be doing a, not only a supervision on a HIPAA compliant platform, but even a a session that I can watch. And the client, of course, would know my supervisor's on the other end. You can even introduce them. Um, The person can even step out of the room halfway and call the supervisor to do that break in the middle. I mean, all of that can happen um, in ways that were not available before. And it's really important that we utilize that
0: you know, supervision was, is, is in the scope of practice of MFTs, but it needs to be in the scope of competence, meaning you have to know your stuff. You have to be HIPAA compliant. You have to know the technology before you use it. And I think that requires the supervisor to really stay up to date and you giving these kind of cutting edge training on uh, supervision. How would you recommend to somebody that has been supervising in a while but is still reticent of adapting to new technology but other fields in our field there's you know increasingly headed in that direction so how do you kind of increase your scope of competence how do you get caught up to speed on these emerging trends with uh video supervision and uh, accompanying technology
1: are you looking for employment in the field of behavioral health AAMFT's Job Connection has over 1,300 listings across the United States for careers in multiple sectors and disciplines. If you're an employer looking for the right person to join your team, your jobs can be posted online with ease and you can manage applications and search resumes to find the best candidate to fit your position. Not only does Job Connection provide listings, it also offers professional services to help you build and manage your career for maximum potential for success. The Career Learning Center contains resources on creating your resume, building your brand, networking, interview tips, salary negotiation, and more. Visit amft.org slash jobconnection and make Job Connection the first stop on your career journey. for somebody who's going to be um, a supervisor amft approved supervisor to stay stay up on what is happening in the literature and um, in the field and certainly one of those is technology changes and so i think you can if you're reticent i think you can do a couple things one is to um, reach out to somebody who does this on a regular basis for instance um, you know get it, getting the name of some supervisors that do the majority of their supervision online to get some advice and maybe even to practice you know so before you jump in with super, a supervisee or a live case with a client where the supervisee calls you halfway or something like that to practice it practice it with a colleague um okay i'm coming in let's pretend we're doing supervision let's pretend i'm watching a case let me try the different bells and whistles so that you are more comfortable and to you need to get, the supervisor needs to get comfortable with the platform and then introduce it into their contract. What do you, you know, I'd like to use this platform. Um, here's the paperwork that we could use in terms of having the agency sign off or the client sign off. Um, we've, you know, I feel confident as a supervisor that I have selected a HIPAA compliant platform, all those kinds of things. And then, you know, jump in.
0: How do you do it at Colorado State and also in your trainings across the country as far as incorporate technology into the training of future MFT supervisors?
1: Well, I work with, um, within a training program and our setup has six one-way mirrors i can be in one room and i have mirrors surrounding me yeah it's a pretty wonderful setup and so um the way we work is for instance um let's we have a supervisor who um is assigned to each night that the center the center is we have run actually three centers we run a trauma center a traditional therapy center and a program called campus connections which is Uh, therapeutic mentoring. So we have many things, all of our 500 hours happen right on our campus in our program. And so let's say I'm the Monday night supervisor. I can, I meet from at three o'clock with everyone who's going to see clients that night and we case plan. And then they all have a case at four, five, six, and seven. So many, many cases are happening. And I am, moving from mirror to mirror. They're all taking a break halfway. Some mirrors I'm going to watch much longer because we know that that's a more, um, you know, a higher need case, some not as long. So at CSU, um, we use that live mirror model, and it's very easy in that setting. We also have every student records every session, and then they're required to review their sessions for a certain number of hours every week and reflect on that. And then, um, so often training programs, unless they happen to be an online training program, are generally not using as much, you know, the technology tends to be different. Um, Some programs, for instance, you record and you do, um, you're watching video. But I think when it becomes even more important is post-grad.
0: Oh, I have a bunch of questions for you about that in the sense that, you know, when you're in a training program and you're in the uh, kind of furtive nest of your program, it's provided for you. And a lot of times you don't have a say over your supervisor. You're assigned this or there. And when you're in the field, and a lot of people listening to this podcast will be what AMFT calls preclinical fellows working towards licensure now in the real world. And they may be the only MFT at their site and they usually will have to go out and get supervision. So instead of having it assigned to them now becomes a choice, you are interviewing the supervisor. Uh, so I wanted to ask you about what do you think, uh, in interviewing a potential supervisor, what are appropriate and what is not appropriate to ask and kind of assess for fit?
1: Oh, I just think that's great what you're saying. It's that when you leave the the nest in a way, right, where everything is provided and you have um, hopefully have had multiple supervisors throughout your training that are right there associated with the program. So when you enter that post-grad supervision, I think so many things are important for you to think about. Um, you're obviously, you know, going out and, and looking for a job and that job could be in an agency, just like you said. And if there's an MFT at that agency, um, boy, that's great. Then you're really wanting to ask yourself two questions. One is, um, what credentials do I need my supervisor to have so that I can move towards licensure, things like that, that are that are the logistics, the very important pieces of moving forward in my profession. But secondly, who would be the best fit for me? And sometimes that means hiring extra supervision, somebody that's in private practice, or even you know whatever that might look like in your state. Um, often there are state regulations about going out, having supervision in another state, so. You have to pay attention to those things. Some supervisors are licensed in multiple states and can offer that, but you really want to look at your state regulations. So once you know that the person's credentials are lined up with um, AMFT and the state, then you're really asking yourself, what do I want at this? What do I need at this juncture in my training? For some people, they're really wanting to hone in on a very specific theory for instance so they want to hire an EFT supervisor or so they're very theory based others might say i really want to work with somebody who is in private practice because maybe i'm in an agency now but i'm interested in that later so i'd like to have a a, a private pa- practice perspective i think it's important to think about what what are your goals
0: and that could be different for everybody else and i know uh, we teach a course in my accredited program, a Capstone Course, preparing you for post-graduation, and we have that talk about what are you looking for? And some students, just the reality or emerging professional, the reality is money is tight. So they are thinking more of how much this will cost me or what is the easiest way to do it, which is not... Uh, always, you know, counterintuitive to what we've been talking about is finding someone's a good fit for you. If you want to develop your clinical skill, or you want to be mentored in moving towards private practice, uh, the, those things uh, trump what the cost is. But I think young people also have, uh, young professionals have, a hard time knowing. Well, what can I ask? And you know, you can say this as you do the AMFT training and you help supervisors in training develop their theory of supervision, so to speak. Um, I think it's important for students to know how a potential supervisor would supervise, what they believe about therapy, how they do. So we talk about asking a potential uh, therapist in training to interview their supervisor by looking at their theory of supervision. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious what you think about that. Also curious uh, about the biggest anxiety, I think we've found, is negotiating a price point of what supervision cost and how to have that conversation uh, as an emerging professional with a supervisor. If you could comment on those two things, I'd love to hear your thoughts.
1: Well, and this is just such a critical point you're bringing up, um, to be aware of young professionals, many who are um, just getting started and cost is a significant issue. Many of them are coming out of school even with um, school loans and things like that. So I think being sensitive to the price is critical. If you are fortunate enough to get an agency job where that is right, where that's a part of that, then that is likely no cost. And that is, that might even influence how you look for a job so that you don't have to think about that if you're in a situation where you find a job it's the job you want you really like working for this agency but you do have to go out for that supervision then I think um, you can do things to offset those costs for instance like group supervision join a group Um, and again that HIPAA compliant platform makes that easier because you can build a group um, from multiple people at multiple agencies and to interview and ask about that. Um, For instance, you might have somebody who's reluctant to use that technology and there's, you know, they don't see people that drive more than an hour or something like that. So I think it's important to be a careful consumer, not only to quality and fit, but also cost. Um, When you're looking for an approved supervisor, many people go to the AMFT supervisor directory to see who's in my state, who's, who's available, you have to, um, as an approved supervisor, you have to say, I want to be on that list. And so sometimes there's people in your area that are not on that list. And so uh, talking to supervisors to find out who they know is doing supervision, really doing your homework to see. I think it's easy to feel like, oh my gosh, I only, there's only one person or there's only two people. And there's, there's often more than that. So really finding out, first of all, who is available and um, who has space available to, see, to take on more supervisees. What's the cost? Can that be offset with group or, or dyad? Um, and, and obviously a mix of those things.
0: You also brought up, I think it's very important, sometimes as a young professional, you're just trying to move forward in your career. Think of the next thing. You're not thinking of the difference between AMFT-approved supervision, as we've mentioned several times, and and other MFT supervision. Uh, and Some younger listeners might not know, over the last about six years, AMFT has really taken the reins back over supervision training uh, for quality control and for continuity. And as I said, you have been one of the, the leaders in that effort who AMFT looks to to train future supervisors. Can you talk about... The advantages of AMFT supervision over um, non-AMFT uh, MFT supervision.
1: Yeah, and you know, you you alluded to it at the beginning that this is this was this is a really standout difference in our field. That you know, for a very long time, MFT has had a designation as an approved supervisor, and that was really di- that there was no other field doing that. Um, There was a very specific set of um, what you need to do to get that designation. And for some listeners, they might not know that that requires you, if you want to become an AMFT supervisor, you're going to need to take a 30-hour class on uh, supervision. And that class can be um, online through AMFT. It can also be at the conference. Um, the annual conference. There's many ways to take that course, but you wanna start with the AMFT because that's the the hub of getting this 30-hour course. You're also gonna over 18 months or two years, you're not only gonna be doing supervision, but you're also gonna have a supervisor mentor. So in order to get that accreditation or that um, designation, you're going to supervise 180 hours like I said, over an 18 month or two year period, and you're gonna be getting 36 hours of meeting with somebody who's already an approved supervisor to get mentoring about how to be an excellent supervisor. And that's about a five to one ratio. Um, You're also going to um, write a philosophy of supervision paper, which is part of that 30 hour course to really think out, what is my philosophy? What do I, you know, what, what What is it about doing supervision that I want to be able to not only articulate, but practice? All of those regulations are in the AMFT supervisor's handbook. The clock starts on that designation when you um, identify your supervisor mentor, and then you have a contract with them. We're going to meet for 36 hours over this time period. I'm going to be supervising people in my agency or at my private practice, whatever that might be. So that is um, really meaningful and thoughtful training.
0: Yeah, you did a beautiful job of laying out uh, what it takes to be a supervisor. And that's what I tell young professionals, too. It's like, you know, um, a lot of times you get what you pay for when you're when you are getting an amft supervisor you have an assurance that they've really wanted it this is not something that is just handed out or in other <laughs> fields in other fields you can be a supervisor the only requirement is a certain length of time you've been licensed or practicing you have to really want it if you are a practitioner you and i are both both practitioners and academic mfts and it's kind of built into being in a training program being in a supervisor but if we're thinking of people listening um, that say, Hey, I want to give back, you know, I, I'm a frontline clinician. Um, and I've, I don't want to be a academic, but the supervision is this, I always think of this beautiful place in between, um, the frontline of being a clinician and being in the classroom and, and we need good supervisors out there. So it is, it is a labor of love. Um, but I think the other thing, and you were alluding to this, I can, I can remember some of my best times as, um both doing supervision, but before getting mentored, it, it is really, it is what you get out of it as a supervisor. You talk about really how, how is it, it has enriched you as, as a person, as a supervisor to do that work. What does a supervisor get out? Because a lot of our talk today has been about, you know, what a young professional can get out of good quality AMFT supervision, but what does the supervisor get back from their time and their service?
1: Oh, I really love that you're asking that. I really think about it so much the way you just said, um, a, it, generativity. Um, I think that when you've been in the field, you're licensed, um, a, a great, I, I would encourage so many people to take this great step to become an AMFT-approved supervisor so that you can have a, play a role in um, the next generation of MFTs. You have a lot of experience. You... Um, You wanna share that in a generativity way. I also think what you get out of it is lifelong learning. I think that it's critical for therapists and supervisors to not stop learning when you leave school. You wanna stay up on the literature, the field, um, all sorts of things, and and I think that when you are in supervision, you're going to be supervising people that maybe just came out of a program and, and they're talking about things that maybe you don't know so much about. And rather than being intimidated by that, to learn, learn with them. Um, if they're talking about um, certain concepts that aren't as familiar to you, to, to be able to just be authentic and say, you know, I'm not as familiar with that, um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn more about that. Thanks for bringing that up. So I think um, ongoing learning, generativity, the opportunity to give back I think all these things are really important and I might also mention that in addition to the training, which, um, you know, it it is a commitment. There's no question, but it's, um, much of it is what you would be doing anyway, beginning to supervise people, getting mentoring, things like that. So it's not a hurdle that is, you know, AMFT does a great job of not making the hurdle to become an AMFT supervisor so large that, um, People don't want to do that. I think they hit it just right with what you need to do to be a really high quality supervisor with a reasonable number of tasks to get there. But when once you are designated, I love that AMFT requires that you take a refresher course every five years. So I don't know that um, some of the listeners know that, but every five years uh, for myself too, as an approved supervisor, I take a refresher course, which is five hours, to make sure I'm paying attention to what's happening in the field and all sorts of things in terms of supervision and that gives me the opportunity to to learn from other supervisors that have been in the field because generally you take that in a in a group setting online or in person
0: I mean I can't echo enough I, I um... Uh, re, Re-up mine uh, last year at the national conference, and it made me back to this kind of one of these words we've been using today. It's an intentional practice, as you're right, that good therapists do anyway. It made me think about revise my uh, philosophy of supervision, as you were mentioning, think about uh, how I practice uh, my supervision and how that is similar or different to the way I do therapy, and hear from my peers. So, in our closing moments here, what, what else do you think is important both for you know, um, people looking for supervision or potential MFTs looking to start their own um, track into becoming a supervisor? What other tips or important things or things in the future that are on the horizon you think are important to consider?
1: Um, Well, one thing is that states all across the country, states have adapted. um, They have matched, many, many states have matched um, requirements for supervisors at the state level to to look like the designation. So AMFT has high, the AMFT approved supervision designation has highly influenced what states require now. Now some states require very little. For instance, um, the state that I live in, Colorado, um, there's not you know there's not a state requirement to do anything beyond being a licensed professional. Um, But other states, many states across the country, require a 30-hour class mentoring, all the things that are part of that designation. So that designation has been, um, just has moved right into the fabric of many, many states' regulations. And so um, it's, often I find people um, coming to become an AMFT supervisor because they want to supervise and looked you know in their own state have looked at those state regulations and said wow it looks like my state is saying to me if i get that designation i'm good to go supervising in my state so it's always good to look at both state and national
0: it really is the gold standard you will not when you get to the licensure level um, most states yes they recognize that you will not have to verify uh, what you got, uh, and how it was delivered, whereas if you go to a non-AMFT supervisor uh, on the licensure level and the state licensing boards, there's a lot more gray areas and things open for questions. So I, I think it eliminates a lot of anxiety for potential licensees as they move towards the end of that process if they've gotten AMFT supervision.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's um, It really is a parallel process. Yeah.
0: Um, Was well, so great talking to you, Tony. You you are uh, always very uh, personable and active at AMFT events, the National Conference, and um, I, I imagine you are continuing to do training. So if somebody comes to get that 30 hours, as you mentioned, uh, how often are you doing that for AMFT?
1: I, I tend to do it at the National Conference, which I just really love doing it. It gives me an opportunity to interact with what I call the Vale Victorians of the <laughs> uh, around the country, and um, also people from around the world. Um, in my most recent training that I did at the annual conference, we had um, persons, uh, professionals from Hong Kong and China. So that is just a wonderful thing. And many of the people that are in that class are are those people that um, really want to take that next step, that generativity, and it's exciting for me to not only teach the class, but to learn from all of them. Um, I also recently taught the class at the AMFT um, home base. There at headquarters in, uh, in Alexandria. Yeah, headquarters. And that was wonderful to go to the, what I call the mothership. <laughs> so I was able to go to the mothership and teach the course there. And that was just wonderful this summer. So it's something I completely enjoy and have a lot of passion around.
0: Well, I can tell and I can tell your passion has come through our conversation, and I appreciate all you do for MFT supervision, for the profession, and thank you so much for being
1: with us today. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Thank you again, Tony. So much good information and what a great dialogue back and forth about current trends in MFT supervision. If you are out there and you've listened to this and you say, hey, you know, I'm an LMFT. I want to give back. I am not an academic. I'm not going to teach a class, but there is something about working with young clinicians and mentoring that is appealing to me. Well, perhaps you would be a good candidate to become an AMFT approved supervisor. Let me tell you about the fundamentals course. As part of the application process, MFTs who are either AMFT clinical fellows or AMFT preclinical fellows must complete a 30 Credit Hour Fundamentals of Supervision course in order to receive the AAMFT Approved Supervisor designation and this is a course comprised of a 15 credit didactic portion and a 15 credit interactive portion and that goes along with a personal philosophy of supervision paper, your theory of supervision so to speak. That paper is to be completed after both of the course components are finished and is evaluated by a didactic course instructor from the AAMFT. The complete course with both the didactic and the interactive have to be completed within 18 months of registration. AAMFT wants you to know this is a rigorous course. It is not a workshop. It is not a formality. It requires reading, really developing a theory of supervision, discussion post online, short assignments, It is a class. More about this, you go to AAMFT.org, your one-stop shop. At the top there, there's a pull-down menu that says Enhanced Knowledge. You can click on there and you will see Approved Supervisor Resources. And in there is this um, description of the standards I just went over and including the standards handbook that has everything updated. You can also go there if you've been supervising for a while and you're like, hey, when is my five-year refresher due? There is uh, plenty of information on that as well. All right. As always, you know I love hearing from you, the listener. Our topics are informed by the feedback I get from you. We've gotten a lot of great feedback lately from some co-empty programs that are using the podcast in their courses, and certainly we also get information uh, and feedback from people out there that aren't even part of the AMFT, but they're interested in systemic therapy working with couples or families or even individuals in a systemic framework. Love to hear from you. Easiest way to get a hold of us. Drop us a line communications at aamft.org You can also reach me directly at info at elikaram.com The Twitter handle is at the AMFT. I'm at Dr. Eli Live. Hashtag AAMFT Podcast. Find us wherever you find your favorite podcast. I like the Apple Podcast. Please leave us a star rating and a review. That really helps. And you can catch up on all the back episodes on aamft.org. Until next time, my friends. Stay systemic.